Our priest is a dying man. The dying men, women, youth. And I will preach as though I will never preach again. So God, God has his reasons for why he saves us in stages. Sanctifies us slowly, makes us fill up every day at his pump. Lest we forget where the gas comes from. Welcome to Follow Me to Heaven, where God's word is truth and your questions matter. I'm your host, Jonathan Romero, and we are still in Ephesians. Um, We're going to be beginning chapter 4 today. So Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to focus on the first three verses of that. But um, let's give a quick recap of what we've already gone through. So let's start at the beginning Paul gives us his introduction and his salutations, right? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, And then from verses 3 all the way through verse 14, he gives this big, huge doxology, right? This praise to God. And not only that, he gives praise to all three persons of the Godhead, which is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he um, gives this thanksgiving to God for the people and their faith. And he calls them to this remembrance, right? And he begins by saying in chapter 2, And you were dead in the sins of trespass, and and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. And he goes on talking about where we once were, where the Ephesians once were apart from God. And in verse 4, lets us know, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our, sin, our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So then he gets to the grace from God, right? This mercy, this grace that comes from God as well, right? Not only is God just and holy and righteous, but he is also merciful and gracious and he shows us through the work of Christ what Christ did for us. And then we go on, he goes on and talks about this unity that we have right? Gentiles and Jews, we are no longer separate, but we are actually brought into this family, the same family, right? The same household. The promise that was first given to the Jews is the same promise that's given to the Gentiles. Then Paul is eager to let the believers know about this mystery that is revealed, and he reveals it to us, right? The mystery has been made known to Paul. Paul is eager to let the believers know what is this mystery. And he tells us in verse 6 of chapter 3, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So that is this mystery that is being revealed to us by Paul in this letter. And then he goes on and tells us, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And then he starts going off on a little side note. 
a holy rabbit trail and he gives this beautiful layout of what God is doing within us. It says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So this is coming from God or from Paul telling us this is the God of whom saved us. This is the one, the one who named every single family in heaven and on earth, right? The sovereign one. And he's saying that he is praying to God and asking God that he may give the believers, the readers of this letter, um, strength to understand this love, right? To comprehend, it says, with all the saints, what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Why? So that we may be filled with the fullness of God. The very purpose of why God is doing anything and everything through this sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit is that we may be more and more like Christ. And this is where we get into in chapter 4. So let's read chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. It says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father uh, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that, but that he also had descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So that was chapter 4, verses 1, all the way through 16. But we will focus more on verses 1, 2, and 3. So let me just reread that and let's dig in. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. 
So verse 1 begins with, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. Where have we heard that before? Well, if you remember chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says the same thing. Paul says it a little bit different, but he says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And in verse 1, he says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. So again, he's reminding the Ephesians, right? He's reminding them and saying, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. I am here because I am doing uh, this to which he called me to do, and that is to be an apostle for the Gentiles, that the Gentiles may be saved through the preaching of this gospel that he is unveiling to them as he preaches anywhere and everywhere, even in prison, Paul preaches the gospel. And here it says, I therefore, so after what he just basically prayed for the believers, right, for strength and saying, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. So that's verse 20 and 21. And then he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, now he's going to give a command, right? This isn't something that uh, only some of us are gifted in doing. No, he calls all of us, every single believer, to this. And what does he say? I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So Paul reminds his readers of his imprisonment for the truth, so as to give a kind of exhortation that holds weight to it, right? He has said this before in chapter 3, verse 1. And the idea here is that even though he is in confinement, he is urging the believers to hold fast a kind of unity that has been established by God himself, right? So this isn't a unity that we are creating. No, God created this unity and God is now telling us, hey, hold fast to this unity. Unity, preserve this unity that we have. And he tells us, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Right? So to walk is also to live. So imagine Paul saying, live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Right? So every single believer has been called to this calling. And what is this calling? This calling is to hold fast, to preserve this unity, right? It says, manner worthy of the calling. So let me just remind you that Christ is the worthy lamb slain. So to be one of the called is to say that our identity is now hidden in Christ, thus making our calling worthy, right? Again, we must be reminded of the same thing Paul reminds us all throughout Scripture, right? He reminds us of our old state where we once were when we were dead. We were separated from God. We hated God, did not want anything to do with God. He tells us that in Romans chapter 3. And here he's telling us that we are to live in a manner worthy of this calling to which you have been called. Right? So it's a have been called. This happened a while ago. This happened past tense because we are believers now. We are no longer 
alienated from Christ. We are no longer separated from this peace. We now have peace, right? Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. So no longer do we have to seek this peace. We have it already. And it's, and it's in this past tense to which you have been called. It gives this idea that God prepared this already from before. And Paul is saying, hey, I am here in prison and I have this ability, this uh, ought to call you to this exhortation. And this exhortation is... Uh, to walk, to live in this manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, right? Because Christ made all of this possible. So then he gets into verse 2 with, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So this is how we are to maintain this unity. This is how we are to live or to walk in a manner worthy of this calling is by humility and gentleness. And he says with all humility and gentleness and patience, right? With patience, bearing with one another in love, right? So what is the opposite of humility or humbleness? Pride. Pride is the opposite, right? Pride causes you to boast in your goodness and it leaves everyone else in second place while you are boasting about your first place, right? You matter right now. Therefore, you are being prideful in whatever you're being prideful about. Thus, you are making everybody else second place and God does not call us to do that. Instead, we are to seek our brother's good. We are to seek that they are um, being taken care of um, and being met in their needs, whatever their needs are, right? This is what makes us brothers and sisters, that we count others more significant than ourselves. And that's what God calls us to. So we are to set aside pride because that's no longer us. We are to be humble in service and in everything. Gentleness, it says. Right? So what is the opposite of gentleness? Unkindness, right? Rudeness. We are to not be unkind to our brothers and sisters. Right? Again, that falls in line with us not being Christ-like. That's not Christ-like. Patience, right? It says that we are to do it with patience. Well, what's the opposite of patience? Well, obviously, impatience, right? Or impatient. So if anybody is impatient... That means we want things now. We want it our way. So we are not trusting in the Lord that he has set a time for anything and everything, right? We might get upset because we are uh, not meeting a deadline for something or whatever the case may be. We seek someone's uh, good and we want them to respond in um, thankfulness, but they haven't done yet, right? They haven't done so. So we get mad and we get impatient, expecting them to be thankful for whatever you did for them. No, we are to be humble and gentle and patient, right? But not only that, 
right? Whenever God saved us, we all are saved differently, right? Some of us are saved when we are eight years old, others 23 years old. Even um, there are instances that there are deathbed uh, salvations, right? When people are on their deathbed and they come to realize their sin against God and they repent on their deathbed. They may be 80 years old and still have not known the Lord and the Lord in an instant can change their hearts to now recognizing their sin, recognizing that they need forgiveness, recognizing that they need salvation because the wrath of God is abiding them and they recognize that Jesus Christ has come to bear the sins of all of those who put their trust in him. So there are those deathbed conversions that happen, right? The thief on a cross, right? There is no, nothing that he could do uh, in terms of good works in order to show that um, he is worthy, right, to be saved. Not None of us are worthy to be saved. But in love, God predestined us to salvation, right? Before the foundations of the world, he chose us to be his. And that's a beautiful thing. So we cannot be impatient. Bearing with one another, right? This is a big one. We are to love one another, not hate each other. And it, here it says bearing with one another. That means that we might get annoyed um, t at times here and at times there. But we are to bear with one another uh, while being patient with them and loving them, right? Showing humility and gentleness, right? There's, there's a time for everything. And there is also a time for rebuke. Uh, there's a time for a correction. But we are to do it in a manner that is worthy of this calling, right? Recognizing that they are also a brother, a sister, right? Even if they're doing something completely wrong, maybe they're, they are in sin and they don't know it. Let them know with gentleness and with respect, showing them love through that, telling them why what they are doing is actually not good. And also those who maybe be struggling with a sin or two or three or four, doesn't matter. Um, the, the idea here is that we are to bear with one another, but we are to do it with gentleness. We are to do it with humility, with patience. Pray to God. If you don't have patience, that you may be granted this patience in order to uh, help and aid a brother or a sister with whatever they're going through. And here Paul is reminding the Ephesians of the virtues of Christ, right? All these virtues are found in Christ. And to be followers of Christ, we are to emulate all that Christ has set before us as examples, right? And these are the attributes that we are to show as image bearers of Christ, right? We identify with Christ, so we are to emulate all of that, right? So let, let me read in Matthew chapter 25. Let me read from verse 31 all the way till the end of the chapter and just listen. Listen to what Jesus is, Jesus is saying. Right. He says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 
and he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did you see, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and gave you drink? And when did you, did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he, who, then he will say to those on his left, Depart from you, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So the idea of Jesus saying all of that is that the least that we do to our brothers and sisters is the least that we are doing to Christ. And the most that we do to our brothers and sisters, we do to Christ. So if we see a brother or a sister in need in any way, we are to minister to them and care for them. Why? Because we are doing it as unto the Lord, right? We are called to work as unto the Lord. And by doing that and ministering to our brothers and sisters, we are doing it to Christ. But remember, if you don't do any of that, you don't do to Christ. Yes, there's going to be those instances that you just cannot help them, right? You cannot aid them, but the best that you could do is pray. Well, that is the best that you can do. Pray for them and pray that God will bring people to their aid, right? We may not have orphanages that we can come and minister to here um, in our city or in your city. But if you do, visit them. Let them know that they are loved um, through the gospel, of course, right? Give them this gospel that shows them that God has adopted them. They have a Father who is in heaven, and they are called to repent from their sins and trust in the Lord and believe in Him. And by doing that, they will be saved. Um, the widows, right? We are in James. It says... The only religion that God sees right is one who cares for the widows and orphans. We're called to do that. And uh, the fatherless, right, the, the orphans, the babies in the womb, right? What God sees as an abomination, he sees the shedding of blood as one of them. And the shedding of blood happens at abortion mills. So we are to come 
get brothers and sisters together and go preach the gospel to the abortion mills because there's many, many, many babies being murdered by day, day by day, thousands and thousands, right? There's over 60 million, reaching 70 million probably. And there's more accounting, but we are to uh, be as such a people that seek to abolish this heinous crime, this murderous crime, right? It is wrong, and God sees it as an abomination. So pray if you do not have a Planned Parenthood, if you do not have anything in your city that you can come out and minister uh, to those walking in and out. I would say pray for those who are going to the abortion mills and and, um, encourage them by sending churches letters uh, that have abortion mills near their city or in their city um, and encourage them uh, through God's word and through prayer that we are all called uh, to this kind of ministry that we are to seek um, to save people. Right, We have been saved, and how dare us to keep quiet of this salvation that God is graciously giving everyone, right? So this gospel call, you're to preach to everyone and anyone you come in contact to. It is not your job uh, to cause them to believe because that's the Lord's work. The Lord will do that within our hearts, that he will give them a new heart, a heart that desires uh, what God desires and detests and hates what God detests and hates. So this unity in this body of Christ, we are to seek it. So in our local church, we are to seek this unity and love one another as Christ loved us, right? And he showed it to us on the cross. And it says, eager to maintain this unity in the bond of peace. So that's verse 3. So when one is eager, they can't wait. So we are to do the same thing. We are to be ones that can't wait to seek unity with one another. And it says to maintain the unity of the Spirit. So it's the Spirit's unity. It's not ours. God established this unity and he is calling us to maintain this unity. Right, And it says, in the bond of peace. So this unity was established by God, and God calls us to this unity. It's God's unity, and now God calls us uh, to the preservation of his unity, which is from love. Right, Remember verse 2, it says, bearing with one another in love. And it says, God calls us to this preservation. And it brings us peace brings each and one of us peace, right? And what is peace? Peace is a state of reconciliation because God has granted us and given us peace. We are to seek this peace with one another. So pray that God will grant you uh, these virtues if you struggle with humility, with patience, gentleness, uh, bearing with one another, love, I just be reminded of the cross, be reminded of what Christ did for us. And since we are God followers, we are to seek to follow Christ in his footsteps. 
Uh, these are the virtues that Christ showed all throughout the Gospels and even throughout all of Scripture because Jesus is the God-man. He is the sinless one. And God has set forth examples after examples uh, through the prophets of what it means to be righteous before God, right? God declares us righteous because of Christ. So if you have not come to Christ, I would say come to Christ. Repent from your sins. Turn away from them. Hate them. And come to God in full reverence, acknowledging that you have sinned against him and ask for forgiveness, right? It's this seeking of that comes from the heart because the heart has already been changed. So come to God, trust in Christ, believe in him, and you will be saved, it says in Scripture. This is Follow Me to Heaven with Jonathan Romero. Oh, 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 oh,